Lauren. Mike. Lauren, it has been a long week. Longest week ever. And while everyone may be still talking about the presidential election, we are going to take a little break from that here. So have a seat, turn off Twitter for a minute, stop refreshing the map, and let's talk about something super fun. Ooh, um, kittens? No, we're going to talk about video game consoles. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori, a senior editor here at Wired, and I'm joined remotely by my co-host, Wired senior writer, Lauren Good. Hello, hello. And we are also joined by Wired service editor, Alan Henry, who also leads our Twitch live streams on our Twitch channel and runs all of our video game coverage here on Wired. Hello, Alan. Welcome back to the show. Hi, hi. Thanks for having me. As always, of course. Today we're talking about the two new video game consoles that are out in the world, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X, both launch next week, just a couple of days apart. Both promise a whole bunch of technical improvements that will guide the games industry for the next few years. We'll get into the business of gaming later on in the show, but first, let's dig into the details about the consoles themselves. Alan, not to feed into the great console wars too much here, but how do these machines stack up? In a lot of ways, they're very similar. Um, Design-wise, they couldn't be more different. Like One is a tall, black, rectangular prism, and then the other one looks like a beach bro with a pop collar. But... <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, and they they are priced similarly to the PlayStation Five is four ninety nine. The version without a disc drive, the called the digital edition, is three ninety nine. Uh, the Xbox Series X, which is the the beefier one, is four ninety nine. The Xbox Series S um, is two ninety nine. Um, they both come out. Oh man, November tenth for the Xbox consoles, November twelfth for the PlayStation Five. They're just both beefy computers. They're both big old computers with tons of memory. And they're, I mean, they're gaming PCs wrapped up in a proprietary shell. So I've not been a gamer, admittedly, since probably 1996. <laughs> and this is, this is because I, I have a bit of an obsessive personality. And so when I get really into something, I get really into it. And I would probably spend 10 hours a day playing video games and then I would never file any stories to Mike and that would make him very sad. So instead, I, I tend to focus on other areas of technology obsessively. But I have uh, covered video game events like E3 before. And many years ago, I was sent to cover a video game console event. It was a Sony PlayStation event in New York City at the Hammerstein Ballroom. And I remember, Alan, that there, it was like it was hugely hyped up, right? Of course, as all of these tech product launches are, and they didn't show the console. <laughs> they like talked about it and talked about its specs and its features and what it was going to do, and then like they didn't. But there wasn't like a final version of the console ready. And I remember walking away like I was like looking under the seats and going, "Are there consoles under here? Like what?" <laughs> and 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 it just seemed like it became very clear to me, as as a noob game reporter at the time, that. For gamers, like they actually don't care that much about what the physical console looks like necessarily. Like they 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 tend to be pretty ugly, and <laughs> it's really just all about how powerful they are. Yeah, I mean, I think Microsoft played into this a lot, uh, especially because they are kind of late to the game, right? I mean, we all remember back in the day Nintendo and I mean Sony with the PlayStation, and then Sega, which doesn't make consoles anymore. But I mean, 
Microsoft jumped into the whole game console market by saying, we have the biggest, beefiest box. It's the most powerful. It's extreme. And I mean, to the point where Xbox Huge, I'm doing air quotes for the folks who can't see, uh, Xbox Huge is, was always a moniker for being absurdly large. And I mean, Microsoft is still doing some of that. They're still talking about how powerful their consoles are and how, how much memory and how many teraflops and all this stuff that really only matters to gamers who already have picked a side in the console wars. Like, no one cares about the number of teraflops that a console has except somebody who's already made a buying decision. And considering most people have already picked a side, as you say, you're either an Xbox person or you're a PlayStation person, um, you still do have a decision to make uh, when you're buying one of these things so you know as you mentioned each console comes with a premium version and then like a budget version so uh if you could like what is the decision making that has to happen between whether you should spend the extra hundred or two hundred dollars and get the full featured one or if you should just cheap out and get the 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 lower priced one with the playstation 5 it's an easier call uh the real difference in price i mean the hundred dollar difference in price is whether or not you want a physical disc drive in your console do do you have a lot of games, physical copies of games that you want to continue playing, like the PlayStation 4 games or PlayStation 3 games, because the PlayStation 5 does offer some backwards compatibility. If you don't and you do digital downloads for all of your games or you have ubiquitous high speed Internet and that's fine for you, then the the one without the disk drive is OK. Um, I don't know if I would recommend it. I mean, I know a lot of people will say, oh, no, just get the one without the disk drive. You'll save money and everything. Who who buys physical games anymore? Well, I do. <laughs> I still <laughs> like having a thing in my hand that says, "I this is my game. Uh, so, But it's up to everybody. With the Xbox, the new Xboxes, it's a little different. The Xbox Series X is actually a more powerful device than the Xbox Series S. The Xbox Series X also has native 4K support, which it will, I mean, if you have a 4K TV, is a good thing, especially as more and more games kind of push those graphics limits. The Xbox Series S does not. It is 1080p. It'll upscale to 4K if you have a 4K TV, but eh, it's, it's a tougher call there. I mean, the Xbox Series S is better for somebody who doesn't have a huge game library or plays primarily digitally downloaded games, doesn't want to spend as much money. Uh, the Series X is definitely that top of the line console for, and on that side that like maybe you might want to hold off a little bit before buying to make sure that there are some games coming along that will really take advantage of its power. And traditionally, the game console makers wouldn't release new consoles for like several years. Right. But increasingly, we're seeing these tiered versions of products like the Series S or the quote unquote digital edition of the PlayStation 5. Um, has this spurred more frequent upgrades for gamers? Or are they, are they holding on to their consoles for a really long time? I think everybody's still holding on to their consoles for a really long time. Mm -hmm. um, also, the gaps between game console generations has been traditionally pretty large, like five to seven-ish years. Mm -hmm. um, so now I think that the having these different versions, like a light version and a pro version of a console, has kind of started to bleed into uh, console manufacturers' dreams of shortening that upgrade cycle. So somebody who buys an Xbox Series S today may in two years, when the games they really want to play are in gorgeous 4K and everyone has a 4K TV, well, now it's time to sell it and get an Xbox Series X. And now they have a, a, a customer 
who has bought two consoles in four years rather than one console in eight years. And like we saw that with the Switch, right? Like the Nintendo Switch came out and then a year later the Nintendo Switch Lite came out. Yep, exactly. And I mean, there's still people who are like, oh, I, I prefer the light and other people who are like, no, I'm holding out for a full size switch. I mean, when I bought a second switch for my household, I held out till I could find a full size switch. I didn't want a switch light. Um, but that's just personal preference. But yeah, Nintendo got me twice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so one thing that there's a lot of debate about right now about these consoles is their support for 8K gaming because both claim that they're 8K ready. And I don't think I know anybody who has an 8K television or is ready for 8K gaming. But can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, they both claim they have 8K support. Um, <laughs> there are no games in 8K right now. There are no, I mean, even if you had an 8K TV, yes, technically you could hook this up to that TV. And I guess if the, you had 8K source material, it would display in 8K. But there isn't the source material doesn't exist in the TVs are so rare. It's one of those things that everybody's saying, yeah, well, essentially because we support this version of DisplayPort and we know that that version of DisplayPort is on these TVs. And if somebody develops a game that is 8K, we can push that much data, video data, then it'll work, I guess, technically. It, it's like trying to prove an unknown. Like, I guess it'll work when it happens, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> And does that support extend to media streaming? So if you have like if you're running Netflix on your console, which is what some people use them for, right? Will that support 8K streaming if if I guess all the stars align, all the 8K stars align, and the content is 8K, and the streaming platform supports 8K, and also your your console does? I don't know for sure. I hope so. I would ho I would hope so. I hope they wouldn't promise 8K support and not include like. Netflix, if Netflix or Hulu or somebody said, hey, we have 8K videos now, man, what, what would an 8K video even look like? What would we start with? I mean, when 4K started, we started with like nature documentaries and things just to show yeah. how beautiful it was. But I mean, I guess it's it, it, we're going to have to wait and see uh, if 8K TVs take off first. Right. Uh, before Which we anyone... see at CES every year, but, yeah. but we don't actually see in the wild. Right. I mean, and I know I know for a fact game developers right now are not pouring resources into making their games like beautiful 8K masterpieces because they, they know the audience isn't there and it's not worth the development resources. So I think with 8K, what's going to happen is instead of having the vague feeling like we're living in a Black Mirror episode, we're actually just going to be living in it. <laughs> That's how immersive it's going to be. It's like looking out a window. More K than I need and certainly more K that I want. Exactly. Um, so I just I need to point out here real quickly that none of the people on this episode of Gadget Lab have tried the new console, but we do have uh, writers at Wired who have tried it and are writing their reviews. Um, the reviews will appear within a week or so. They're embargoed, which means that the company will give you a device to use uh, as long as you promise that you won't write about it until a specific date and time, which is very standard across consumer electronic reviews. Like all the big smartphones are embargoed. All the video game consoles are embargoed. Car releases are usually embargoed as well. So um, we're adhering to that embargo and, and we don't have anybody on the show who's actually used it. That said, 
uh, there's been a lot of talk on the internet about the controllers and how the controllers are new. Uh, what can you tell us about that? The Well, I'll start start off with the easy one. The Xbox Series X and uh, Series S controllers are more or less the same as the Xbox Elite controllers from the previous generation. Some subtle changes, but nothing crazy. The PlayStation 5 controller, however, the boomerang, it's, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if anybody else is calling it that, but I am. It is wild looking and it looks, I mean, it actually kind of looks really cool. Um, I haven't put my hands on it, but it looks like a significant departure from the dual shocks of years gone by. If people remember the kind of spaceship looking um, <laughs> PlayStation controllers <laughs> with the, the bl big black wings and everything. Imagine like a sleek, BMW electric car blue trim LED version of a futuristic space fighter that you put in your hands. And of course, of course, it has touch control and all this other cool stuff. I hear it's very comfortable and I hear it's really, really cool. I can't imagine what its battery life is, though, because it has a lot going on in there and a lot of lights, too. <laughs> and as we know, you add more lights. Gamers love it. But at the same time, you kill the battery life. But it's supposed to be really neat, and it's supposed to, ironically, be better than the Xbox controller, which, for a long time, was kind of the standard, right? I mean, the PS2 controller was everybody's favorite way back in the day, and then the Xbox controller became very ergonomic and also worked really well with Windows PCs, which I have an Xbox controller on my desk. Um, and now Sony, I think, is trying to kind of get back in there and say, our controller's great, maybe you want to play games on your PC with this one, too. Don't know if Microsoft's going to let that go over real easy, but we'll see. Yeah, they're they're hoping that good vibrations win. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the business side of things. Welcome back. It is a topsy-turvy time for politics, for public health, for the economy, and of course, for the video game industry. The launch of a new console generation always brings about some big changes. But what will those changes look like in 2021 and beyond? Is it just that games will look prettier and be more expensive, or are there some more fundamental changes happening right now? Alan, let's start with cloud gaming. Is that going to make consoles obsolete or what? It won't make consoles obsolete. I, I can happily say that. Uh, well, I don't know if it's happily, but I can say that. <laughs> Con I can confidently. Say, yes, confidently say that. I can confidently say that consoles won't be obsolete. Uh, mostly because big banner games that get lots of marketing publicity, the kinds where publishers have enough cash to throw around to buy ads in Times Square, those kinds of games are so big that they need a physical place to live while you play them. And so, um, like, the upcoming uh, Call of Duty game, Call of Duty Cold War, the one that everybody's talking about because Ronald Reagan is in it, um, <laughs> that game is... Do <laughs> you want me to go back to that? <laughs> wait, wait. I, know, I think you probably just saw my eyebrows go up on Zoom. Wait, wait, Ronald, wait, wait Ronald <laughs> Reagan isn't telling me about this. So it was a bit of a controversy because... 
uh, the game is set during the 1980s. And you, of course, it's a Call of Duty game, so you play an elite soldier and an elite team of guys who go do the thing and shoot the bad guys. And uh, unfortunately, because it's set in the 80s and you ostensibly are working on behalf of the American government, uh, Ronald Reagan is there as the commander-in-chief, and he's sending you off to do the war crimes. And it's cool. Like, everybody have fun. And of course, Ronald Reagan isn't actually in the game, but his, like, his a very... Uh, accurate likeness <laughs> is in the game. The developers behind the game said they studied hours and hours and hours of archival footage and interviews to try and recreate him as faithfully as possible. And then when another uh, journalist, another games journalist asked the game developers, so how are you guys going to deal with the whole, you know, political side of that and the whole war crime side of that? They just kind of ducked the question. <laughs> they just said, uh, you know, we're, we're not trying to make a political game. We're not trying to comment on Ronald Reagan's politics or anything. Thing. We're just trying to be as realistic as possible. It's and literally <laughs> called Call of Duty Cold War. Right. <laughs> so this speaks to a bigger problem in games with developers who are like, we don't want to be political, but we want to have political settings. And anyway, so that's all super wild. But yes, Ronald Reagan is in the game. He sends you off to do the war crimes. And <laughs> also the game is 250 gigs. It is 250 gigs um, all by itself, and then we don't even know how big it will get after there will be patches and updates and things. And so that needs a physical drive of some kind to live on uh, before you can play it. Cloud gaming will be great for games that um, don't need that much space and games that you can play in multiple places. And um, a lot of like Xbox and uh, Microsoft um, is making a big play toward cloud gaming with the Xbox uh, Game Pass offers hundreds of games for a monthly subscription that you can play on your PC, you can play on your Xbox, and in many cases you can even play on your phone and put down on your phone, pick up on your Xbox, put down on your Xbox, pick up on your PC, and play the same game experience, which is really cool. Uh, Sony, on the other hand, hasn't really kind of clued into that yet. Partially because Microsoft has cloud infrastructure that they want to sell people on. I mean, Microsoft has Azure, and um, they want people to use it. They want developers to use it. Sony doesn't have a comparable product. So uh, they've kind of slowly been eking more towards giving people access to their games on multiple platforms or in multiple places. So it's and not... Is that oh, go ahead, Alan. No, no. I was just going to say, consoles won't, be ex like, won't go extinct, but... Uh, cloud gaming will definitely change how people play games in the long run. I'm wondering if that's the biggest driver of cloud gaming, the idea that people would keep playing on multiple devices and so you just basically keep them hooked into the game for as long as possible, or if there are other elements of cloud gaming that are appealing to the console makers, like lower costs, right, higher margins, right. Um, less environmental waste if you're not yeah. making physical goods. Like what is, what is actually the biggest driver of trying to put everything in the cloud? Uh, I think for one, it, it absolutely reduces costs. Mm -hmm. uh, developers and publishers don't have to ship as many games. They don't have to invest in tons of storage. And also they can kind of rely on the ubiquity of high-speed broadband uh, in most gamers' homes and say, okay, um, you can download this piece of the game, like the game client, and play it 
on whatever device you want to play it on. And then you can download another client. You don't, I don't have to ship a console with a terabyte hard drive. I don't have to ship drive updates or drive upgrades. I don't have to fight with publishers to shrink their games. Um, I can just let you have the games. For gamers, on the other hand, they have a different kind of value add here. They Cloud gaming is usually couched in terms of how many games do I get for my subscription? So with Xbox Game Pass, you can get hundreds of games. With PlayStation Now, it's dozens, but a lot. Uh, with Google Stadia, which is also a player in the cloud gaming space, uh, there's no physical console at all. There's just their service, a compatible TV or controller or like a Chromecast or something. And they just stream the games to you over the internet. So these companies that have cloud infrastructure are using it to kind of power these new game subscriptions, a la Netflix, a la Hulu. Um, and then also sell you a console. But the only way it's catching on is because all these companies are just shoveling their great old, usually old games, games that people used to play and love, into these subscription services and saying, hey, you want 100 games for 30 bucks a month? Sign up for Game Pass. And people do it because it's, it's a good value proposition. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show, it's been several years since uh, the last console refresh. And one of the things that has substantially changed uh, during those years is the explosion of live streaming. <laughs> so uh, as the person who runs uh, Wired's, well, one of the, the primary, should I say, like the marquee talents of Wired's Twitch channel. I'll take that. Um <laughs> What sort of impact do you feel that this double console release is going to have on platforms like Twitch? Twitch is already growing at a clip that makes me skeptically uncomfortable. Um, I find that I love Twitch. Don't get me wrong. I love Twitch. I love streaming and I love seeing a lot of people kind of glom on to Twitch as a new social network. And in a lot of ways, it really is that. It's it's more of a social network than a place like Netflix or Hulu where you go to watch a thing. Um, Sony has made streaming, live streaming, a big part of the PlayStation experience for a really long time. There is a single button on the PlayStation controller to start streaming. I mean, once it's set up, you just hit the button and start streaming whatever you're playing. Um, Microsoft, it's a little bit trickier. It, there's a menu, yeah, but it's still relatively easy. So there are going to be a lot of people streaming the new games like Spider-Man Miles Morales or uh, Bug Snacks or I'm just trying to rattle off launch titles that are relevant to my interests. <laughs> but a lot of people are going to be to pick up these consoles and then try to stream for the first time. And yeah, they're going to be right out of the gate and early. I mean, Twitch's growth has eclipsed a lot of other kind of streaming sites like Facebook gaming. And that's the whole deal with new console releases. It, it injects a number of streamers into the streaming market that weren't there before. So Alan, which of the two new consoles are you going to get? That's not fair. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to answer that question. Because, because the problem right now is that if you say you're going to get one, everybody's going to accuse you of being biased against the other. And I have no dog in this hunt whatsoever. Um, okay, but honestly, my truest, most correct answer is still going to be unsatisfying. I will likely get neither. Um, I'm not planning on buying. I, I skip long console generations. I think I got a PlayStation 3 after the PlayStation 4 was popular. So I get them used years down the line. 
Um, I'm very tempted, however, to get a PlayStation 5, partially for uh, the new Spider-Man game, but partially because I feel like Sony has a bit more of a strong launch lineup, like the games that they're planning to launch with are, are much more compelling. But on the other hand, Xbox Game Pass is a really good value with a ton of classic, strong titles that still live up to all the beauty that they had back in the day. So it's going to be a tough sell for me. I, I might wind up getting a PlayStation 5, but subscribing to Game Pass, which is a weird thing, but wouldn't be new for me. I am I, I split <laughs> I split product lines pretty often. Nice. I, I love the non-answer. That was that was great. It's almost <laughs> like saying you're not going to vote or something. Uh, I would never say that. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> going for the throat. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. All right, Alan, let's start with you. What's your recommendation? Okay, my recommendation is a fun little game called Genshin Impact that a number of people listening to this will probably have heard of already. Um, It is available for PlayStation 4, Windows PC, Uh, iOS and Android and it is one of the first games I've played that creates that seamless experience where I can stop playing the game on my PC go over to the couch open it on my Android phone and pick up exactly where I left off which is fantastic so I I really enjoy it it's free also it's beautiful there are controversies around it and it's gotcha mechanics um, but I find that if you just ignore them entirely you don't have to spend any money on the game what do you mean by gotcha? Uh, so gotcha is short for gashapon, uh, which is popular kind of vending machine game style in Japan and a lot of other countries, including the United States, I guess, where you put in money, you turn the crank, you get a prize out, and that prize is guaranteed to be one of the things, one of the pictures on the front of the machine. It's not guaranteed to be the thing you want, but it is definitely one of those things. And in video games, gotcha mechanics are, I put in money, I buy a currency of some kind that's special to the game, and then I essentially roll the dice to try and get a character I want, a weapon I want, an upgrade I want, something like that. And the odds are usually stacked against you very heavily, like 1% to get the thing that you probably want. But it's very easy to create this feedback loop where you keep putting money into the game and you keep rolling the dice and then you keep putting money in the game and doing it over and over again and then you never get the thing that you want. I still haven't gotten the the shiny, fiery boy that I want in Genshin Impact, (laughs) but... But but I had to stop rolling because my wallet hurts. Don't be me. Please, don't be me. So you, what you're saying is you can just ignore all that and just play the game. Yes, ignore fun. all of it and play the game. You get the currency I'm talking about naturally through gameplay as well, just much right. slower than if you open your wallet. And that therein is the way that a lot of these publishers who produce games that are free, like Genshin Impact is free. I'm doing the air quotes again. That's how they make money. They sure. wait, They need those people to open their wallets and buy the currency. Freemium. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lauren, what's your recommendation? Can I make a recommendation for the original Nintendo? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I do have an original Nintendo. It's the only game console that I own. And I actually, I just tried to pull the cartridge out of it so I could blow into it um, on the air. And it's stuck. Um, (laughs) It's it's Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. And it's stuck. And I don't own a duck hunt gun so the only thing i can play is super mario brothers 
and I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, that's not actually my real recommendation, but I, but I, there's something I love about it, and I hope to, I hope to have this console forever. Um, it was a gift from an ex, and that relationship lasted a really long time, and this console is lasting even longer. So that is really impressive. That's all I have to say. Uh, my real recommendation this week is The Queen's Gambit. It is a show on Netflix that you may have heard about because it is all the rage right now about an orphan child prodigy chess player. I'm not even done with the series yet, and I'm only I'm only on episode five. I think there are seven, and I'm obsessed with it. And it's been a really uh, nice little respite this week, which, as Mike noted earlier in the show, has been an extremely stressful week for a lot of people. So, yeah, uh, if you're not playing video games and you're looking for something else to stream, The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. That's my recommendation. Mike, what is yours? So as we all know, it has been a very stressful week. And um, one of the things that I am turning to to help myself unwind at the end of a long day is a substance called alcohol. Um, (laughs) Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, It is a depressant. It makes you relaxed. It makes you feel good until it doesn't. Uh, Anyway. If you enjoy alcohol in moderation, you might enjoy a cocktail. I also like cocktails, and it's been a really long time since I've actually like had a real cocktail. So I started experimenting with this thing called a cocktail in a bottle. It's a pre-mixed cocktail sold in a 750 milliliter bottle, and you can buy like an old fashioned or a Manhattan or a martini, and you basically just pour it over ice. So it has all the ingredients in it. It has like bitters and you know lemon juice or whatever goes into the cocktail that you're that you're buying. So the one that I'm going to recommend is by a company called Soul Boxer, and it is a brandy old fashioned. So it's like an old fashioned that is made with brandy and it has bitters and all the other things that go in an old fashioned. I don't even know anymore, but you just pour it over, over ice and it tastes delicious. It's like, I was skeptical because, you know, you have a really good cocktail that you pay, you know, 12 or $14 for it, like a nice bar. And you expect something to be really high quality and it is. And then you buy this bottle that costs just a little bit more than a round of cocktails at a fancy bar. And it's the same quality. It's really tasty. So that's the one I'm going to recommend soul boxer brandy old fashioned. But, um, I would say if you can't find soul boxer near you, just try one of the other ones because I've tried a few and so far all of them have been not bad. Uh, or very good or truly excellent. So a cocktail in a bottle, it's a great way to feel like you're out and like having a fancy cocktail without all the work. (laughs) Without being out anywhere these days. (laughs) What I'm hearing you say is that there are some versions of it that are very wired and others that are a little more tired and, but perhaps it'll make you feel inspired. Yes. Or expired. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, that is our show for the week. Thanks again to Alan Henry for joining us, Alan. Thank you for having me. I had fun. As always, total pleasure. Uh, And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. This show is produced by Boone Ashworth, and we will be back next week. (laughs) Dun-dun, 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 dun-dun.